You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. I'm going to be reading Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the king of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him. And he was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for them at the guest room. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in their flocks and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the, and the glory of the Lord's Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim you to to good news of great joy that will be for all. Today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, is born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with an angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people who lives. When the angels have left and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the field. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart, and meditate. Shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen, heard, just as they had Thank you, Kason, so much for doing that for us, reading the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I hope that is a tradition in your family um, of, of allowing someone, maybe one of the youngest ones, the uh, I mean, Kaysen's been reading for several years now, but maybe allowing someone who's just learning to read to be able to, uh, to read uh, the Christmas story and being familiar uh, with, that, uh, with that story. I believe this is about the seventh year that we have done that. I wonder, is there anybody, any of the others that have done that uh, here this morning? One, two, three. Wow, Erica, four. So most, all of them, five. There we go, five. So most of us, most of you have been here are here this morning who've done that for us. Uh, and uh, and uh, I already have one reserved for next year. She is primed and ready, and we'll have it memorized by next year, I'm quite certain. Uh, she's ready to, ready to go. Kaysen, thank you so much for doing that for us. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
Kaysen read for us Luke chapter 2, and there's a portion in there that says this, For today, a Savior, who is the Messiah of the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. Today, a Savior, a Messiah, the Lord, is born for you. That some 2,000 years ago, angels came and spoke to a group of shepherds who were out in the field working. If we were to place ourselves 2,000 years ago, most of us would probably fit the mold of, of a shepherd. We would be out working, and this, this message would have come to us today. A Savior, Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. From the cradle, to the cross, to the crown, God has been revealing to us his plan of redeeming lost humanity to himself. We see that in John chapter 3 verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave, right? A lot of times we think of John 3.16 as that he gave, that Jesus went to the cross. He gave him himself. But I want us to back up some 33 years before that to, to that night that he was born. God so loved the world that he gave. He, he sent his son for you and I. He gave his one and only son that whoever, whosoever, anyone who would believe in him shall not perish, shall not have eternal death but we'll have everlasting life. He was born for us. His body was pierced for us. His blood was shed. His blood was poured out for us. And because Jesus died and rose again, we've been given the ability, we've been given the security to die to ourselves and live for Him. Because He lives... May we learn to walk with Him every single day, growing in our knowledge and our willingness to walk with Him, to be obedient to Him. Because He sits on the throne, seated at the right hand of God. Oh, may we, may we grow in our willingness to serve Him as King, as the Lord of our life. And this morning, we come to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. By remembering why he came. He came to die so that you and I could live for all eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is writing to this young church and he's giving them instruction, what seems like very basic instruction on how to, on how to take the Lord's Supper. He's actually um, correcting some of the false ways that they have been taking the Lord's Supper. And we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, look at what he says. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. In other words, he is saying, I am passing on this tradition that Jesus Christ has given every single one of his followers. And so he clarifies, he takes what they had made very... Um, very full of tradition, of, uh, of, of really unbiblical tradition, and, and some things that were creating some, 
some discontinuity within the, this young church body, and he takes them back to the very basic of the Lord's Supper. Listen to what he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he, being Jesus, he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given, given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. And this is the phrase I want us to really hone in this morning. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. Took the bread, he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, he goes on, he says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until, he's, until he comes. What we are about to do here in just a moment, we are proclaiming, we are declaring that Jesus Christ has died for us. That his body was pierced for us. That his blood was shed. His blood was poured out for us. This simple act of taking the Lord's Supper is a declaration to the lost world, even though we're in here in the church doing this, this is, a, this is a declaration to a lost world that Jesus Christ has died for us and he is our Lord, he is our Savior. Paul goes on with, with somewhat of a, of a warning. He says this, verse 27, So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and I'll unpack that here in just a moment, Whoever drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and in this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, that's the body of Jesus Christ, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that you may not be condemned with the world. Father, we pray this morning as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. Will you prepare our hearts? Will you help us to see the importance of this ordinance, uh, this gift that you have given us to remember you by? to remember what you have done for those of us who call ourselves Christian. God, may we be strengthened by what we are going to do today and may, may the, the memory of what you have done bring Christmas to light even more than it has already. May there be an increasing joy of your birth knowing that you came die for us. Father, we thank you. It's in your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. I want you to notice the re request that Jesus makes. He says this, do this in remembrance of me. With this short phrase, we have the importance of the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of of me, the breaking and the handling of the bread, the drinking from the cup are simply means of reminding us of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's reminding us of his unique death on the cross, that he died for us. 
Jesus knowing that our memories are very short, knowing that we are apt at forgetting, especially gifts that we didn't earn, just graces that have been poured out on us, knowing that we are apt at forgetting, he supplies us with the, with the ordinance of the Lord's Supper to keep us fresh and anew, for being reminded of what he has done, his death upon the cross of Calvary. But this isn't just some simple request. Oh, this is a command. Notice the command of our Lord and King. He says, do this. Those two words, do this. Here's the thing, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have no option but to obey. Observing the Lord's Supper is not a matter we can accept or refuse. Obedience is imperative. Now, while we have no command, we have no instruction on how often that we should take the Lord's Supper, how often we should observe the Lord's Supper, the spirit in which we approach the table and remember Christ's death through the elements of communion, oh, listen, the spirit that we come to the table is of utmost importance. Do this, Jesus says. He's commanding us, do this in remembrance of me. And it's imper- it is an imperative command. This isn't some suggestion that Jesus is saying. He's saying, do this. This is an ongoing command for us today, not just for the first century Christians. This is for every single one of us who call ourselves a child of God. This is a command. But oh, please hear me. God, help us if we become legalistic in this. If this just comes, becomes some kind of sort of, some sort of legalism or some cold formality, Write this down. Mark this down. Obedience is stripped of power and blessing if duty is present and love is absent. Let me say that again. Obedience is stripped of power and blessing if duty is present and love is absent. We miss it. If this is just a duty, we miss the blessing and we miss the power. Oh, we all need to be reminded on a daily basis that Jesus Christ was born so that he might die for you and I. Notice also, this isn't a command of a distant, disengaged king. This is a command that rolls off the lips of a loving father who calls us friends. Do you remember in John chapter 15, verse 15, as, as Jesus is te- ta- talking to the disciples, he calls them friend. He, he says, I, I no longer call you my, my slaves. I no longer call you my disciples. I call you friend. Why? Because I have revealed everything to you. Listen, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus has revealed everything to us, and we are his friend. And so this command isn't Just coming from a king, it rolls off his lips as coming from a friend. Even in John chapter 17, that great high priestly prayer that Jesus prays before he goes to the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus pulls away and he prays for himself and he prays for us. And in that prayer, he calls us friend. So this command, yes, it's an imperative command from our king. But it is also a command from our friend, from one who calls us 
friends. He longs for us to be one with him. He longs for us to be with him in heaven. That's what we see in that prayer in John chapter 17. This is not a prayer of some disengaged, distant king. This is a command of a friend. It would serve us well. If we heard this command, do this in remembrance of me as a dying request from a friend. A last word, if you will. You were sitting at the bedside of a friend who said, here's what I want you to do. Do this in remembrance of me. As our Lord, no doubt, he commands us to remember him. But as our friend, he desires what we are about to do, to remember him. And lovingly, we obey. So we have this command, king from our friend, but notice the purpose in remembrance of me. Do this, here's the purpose, in remembrance of me. Jesus has given us two elements to remember him by. He's given us the bread, which represents his body. He's given us the juice to represent his blood. His body was pierced for us. His blood was poured out for us. When you, when you think of just these two elements and you maybe separate them from what we are about to do, they're, they're valueless in and of themselves. It's just a a little piece of cracker and a little, a little cup of, of Welch's grape juice. But he has given us these, these two elements to remember him by. I, just the other morning, I, I, don't, I don't know if, you've ever, if you have anything that, that means a lot to you. If you was to take it and like maybe try to sell it on, online somewhere, no one would pay a penny for it. But to you, it has incredible value. It's a, it's a memory of someone that maybe a, a parent or a grandparent that they left with you. And, and it's just some little trinket. But to you, it means everything. Just the other morning, Kim and I were having coffee. We were sitting at the table. And, and I was looking at the coffee cups we were drinking out of. And they're blue, dyed blue uh, coffee cups. And, and, uh, and I noticed there was, a, there was a signature at the bottom. It was some friends of ours that gave us these coffee cups 20 years ago. Some, somewhere right around there. And it's painted, it has a little snowman, I think, on it. Um, has my name and Kim's name. Those cof- no one would pay a quarter for those coffee cups, but they mean everything to us. They were a gift to us at Christmas, a handmade gift to us at Christmas. They're meaningful, right? Um, I have a box out hidden somewhere. I'm not going to tell you why, because someone might break into my house and try to find it. But, but back in the day, Kim and I used to write letters when we were dating. Like we lived in the same town. It wasn't like we lived far off and went to school. You know, we had letters. Remember, they were folded just perfect, and it said, pull here. Anybody remember those letters? Y'all are missing it with text messages. It's a piece of paper with blue or black ink, but they mean everything to me. Right? The juice. Apart from what we're doing is fractions of a penny. A little piece of cracker, even less than. 
But Jesus has given us these two. He takes a piece of bread and he says, this is my body. Broken for you. This, is, this, is, this cup is my, is my blood that was shed for you. Do this as often as you do it. Do it in remembrance of me. Jesus takes these two elements, valueless to a lost world, but incredibly valuable to you and I. They are reminders that Jesus died in our place. The elements are intended to take us back to Calvary. That's, that's the purpose of these two elements, to remember his love for us, to remember his sacrifice for us, to remember Christ, not so much his words, not much, so much his miracles, not so much the doctrines of Christ, not so much his ways, but to remember Jesus Christ himself. Notice when he says, and do this in remembrance of, of what I have taught you. Do this in remembrance of what you have seen me do. No, no, no. He doesn't say any of that. He says, do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. Remember me, the crucified Savior. Remember me, the victorious Redeemer. Remember me, the ascended Lord. Remember me, the interceding advocate. Oh, and remember me, the returning bridegroom. And so as we take the Lord's Supper here in just a moment, it is the whole intention, the whole and purpose is for us to look back at the cross and remember how much Jesus Christ loved us and loves us still. The sacrifice that he made for us. And it is also to point us to the returning bridegroom to pick up his bride. That's the purpose. These two elements, this command from our Lord, and the command from our friend. Do this in remembrance of me, says Jesus. But notice the carefulness. We have the command, we have the purpose, but please don't miss this next part. And I'm going to give you a moment here in just a second that we would normally call the invitation or the a moment of response, but there's going to be a moment where the praise team is going to come up, they're going to sing a song, and while we sing that song, this is an opportunity for us to be obedient to what Paul gives us as instruction here in verse 27. He says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? In an unworthy manner. This is what it means to, to take the cup in an unworthy manner, to to knowingly have sin in our life and unwilling to confess it and repent from it. That would be taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. To knowingly have sin in our life and being unwilling to confess it to God, but don't just stop there, but to repent from it as well. To knowingly have sin in our life and being unwilling to confess it and repent from it would be taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And listen to what he says. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin. Watch this. Against the body and the blood of the Lord. So he gives us this instruction. Let a person, before he takes the Lord's Supper, examine himself. What does that mean? We don't, don't, rush, just, don't just quickly rush past this. Let a person examine himself in this way. No, no. Let a person examine himself. 
How do we do that? Oh, God, I know there's this sin in my life that I've been hanging on to, that I've been nursing, because I don't want to let it go. God, I'm asking that you forgive me for this sin. God, I'm asking that you take this sin away from me. And I repent from that sin, and I go the opposite direction of the direction I have been going in. That's what this means to let a person examine himself. Take it a step further. Oh, God, is there anything that I've been so comfortable with and doing that I no longer even call it a sin, but I know your word calls it a sin? God, would you reveal that to me? And God, as you reveal that to me, I know that you're pointing that sin out to draw me closer to you. You're not pointing it out to push me away from you. You're, you're drawing that out to draw me closer to you. Pointing that out to draw me closer to you. That's what it means to examine ourselves. And you're going to have a moment here in just a second. I want to give you that opportunity before we take the Lord's Supper that you would have that opportunity to be obedient to the Scriptures, that you would take this, this warning that Paul has given us, and we would be very careful as we take the Lord's Supper. So look what he says. Let a person examine himself. We're going to give that opportunity. And then he says, in this way, examined and forgiven. Here's the beauty, that we will be forgiven. If we will confess our sin and repent from it, we will be forgiven. So he says, in this way, examined and forgiven, let him eat the bread and drink the cup. And I say that on the, that's the positive side, on the negative side. We're not willing to examine ourselves. If we're not willing to confess our sin, and to repent from our sin, we should not take the Lord's Supper. It would be better for you not to take it than for you to take it with unconfessed, unrepentant sin. Look what he says in verse 29. Here's why. I make that statement because of what he says. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, without recognizing, that's the body of Jesus Christ, the crucified body of Jesus Christ, the body that was pierced for us, the body whose blood was shed for us without recognizing his body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is, is a reference to death. If we were properly judging ourselves, examining ourselves, asking God to, to reveal sin in our life, confessing and repenting, but it means there, if we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. But here in just a second, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to observe this gift that God has given us to remember Him by. But before we do, let's take a moment that we all need to, re, to respond to what Paul is instructing us to do. Let's examine ourselves. Let's ask God to reveal sin in our life and then trust him enough to confess it, to repent from it, to turn from that, to walk cleansed and purified. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh, don't hold back anything from him. He knows it anyway. Let him hear you say, God, please forgive me. You will be forgiven. Thank you for listening to this sermon. 
If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.